which leads us into our series. We're in this series called Road Trip, and uh, throughout this series, you know, the, the last few weeks, uh, and actually the first few weeks of this, this series, it's really been very personal. We've been talking about uh, how these stories we find in Scripture, these people that are on these trips, how they influence us on a personal level, internally. Today we're going to go a little bit bigger, okay? We're going to go outside of ourselves, and we're going to talk about this thing called the church, okay? Now when I'm talking about the church, I mean the, the church global. I, I don't specifically just mean us here at The Journey, but I mean just the church in general. And we're going to talk about the mission of the church and why it's important, and, and how one of these stories helps us understand how we live this out in our lives. We're going to start in the book of Matthew. We find Jesus is getting ready to go into heaven. And he has a group of his followers there, right? He's, he's been resurrected from the dead. He's been hanging out on, on earth for a little bit. Like, hey, I'm here. You remember me? Yep, I'm Jesus in the flesh. Yep, I'm alive. Good, good to see you. And then poof, he goes somewhere else and does the same thing to all these different people. So all these people are getting to see Jesus after he comes back from the dead. Well, he's getting ready to go to heaven to be with God. And he's got this team around him. And he, and he shares something with them. And you may be familiar with this. Uh, if you grew up in the church, you definitely are. If not, maybe you've heard it. But Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So here's Jesus who has his team in front of him. And here's what he says to them. He says, here's my expectations of you now. Like, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm heading out. I'm going to be gone, going to be gone, right? And so here are my expectations of you. This really is kind of the how. This is the how the story of Jesus is going to be spread. And, and Jesus uses action words here. He says, go, make, teach, baptize. These are all actions that this group of people are now called to live out in their life. But it doesn't really say the where quite yet, does it? I mean, he does talk about you know, going to um, uh, all the nations, but, but he gets very specific in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, here's what Jesus says. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So first we have Jesus saying, hey, this is how this is going to play out. And now we have the where, right? Jesus says it's going to start in Jerusalem. Then it's going to go to Judea, which was the region that Jerusalem was in. Then it's going to go to Samaria, which was a little bit different than Judea. And then it's going to go to the ends of the earth. It's going to get beyond these, these boundaries. Well, after Jesus leaves, this thing called the church begins. And you have this church, but there's a problem with it. It's very insulated. It's very inwardly focused. It's very stuck in Jerusalem. And so how do you unstuck something that's stuck, right? Well, what you do is you need a catalyst to move people. And so we find that catalyst in the chapter in Acts chapter 8 starting with verse 1. It says a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. The catalyst the church needed to get out of Jerusalem was persecution. Now, the weird part was it wasn't quite the Romans hadn't come in yet and started to persecute these people that were following Jesus. It was Jewish people. Here you had this group of Jewish people who said, hey, the Messiah has come. He's Jesus. We're following Jesus. And then you have these religious leaders who are also Jewish, and they're coming in and saying, no, that's not the Messiah. And so they're persecuting their own people. And because of this persecution, the people began 
to scatter. Look at verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And so this thing called the church that started there in Jerusalem, that, by the way, was growing like crazy. I mean, thousands and thousands of people were, were a part of this church. Now, because of this persecution, the church is spreading. The good news of Jesus is going beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Here's what we see in verse 5. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. We meet Philip for the first time in Acts chapter 6. Um, this church is growing so quickly in Jerusalem, they can't help everybody uh, with just the, the disciples that are there. And so they're like, we gotta, we got to build some team. And so they build a team of these seven people to go and do this food program, oversee this food program. And so Philip is one of those individuals, but Philip is also one of those people that get scattered out of Jerusalem. He gets sent out of Jerusalem because of this persecution. He ends up going to a place like Samaria and telling people about Jesus there. But God's not done with Philip there in Samaria. God has more plans for him. Scoot on down to verse 26, and we're going to spend the rest of our time here. It says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Here we have Philip. And this angel says, hey, Philip, it's time to leave Samaria. God's got more plans for you. And so I'm going to take you to this new place. And here's what I want you to do. And in my translation here says, go south down the desert road. The better translation actually is at noon, go to the desert road. Now, why would this have been a, um, a strange request? This desert road would have been a road that Philip would have been very familiar with. It was actually a, a trade route, a very heavily traveled trade route between Asia and, and Africa. And uh, so he would have been familiar with this, but it's a desert road. And this angel says you need to be there at noon, which would have meant there would have been very few travelers on this particular road. But Philip goes there, right? He's not given a reason He's not given any purpose. He's just told to go, and that's exactly what he does. Verse 27. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. We learn quite a bit here in these couple of verses. Uh, first, we find out that this eunuch works for the queen of it says Ethiopia. Uh, when Scripture, when you see that word Ethiopia, that title, it really actually is kind of describing all of Africa then, uh, where she would have been the queen uh, based on that name she has, would have been Sudan. Um, it would have been the, the nation, the kingdom of Cush at that time. But it also means she's a warrior queen. Like you did not mess with this lady and you did not mess with her, her nation. So she's very, very powerful. But he works for her. He's the royal treasurer. He takes care of all the queen's money. But the other thing that we find is he's a eunuch, right? And we know this guy as the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, I think you know what a eunuch is. That means you've been castrated. Uh, why would they castrate people in those days? Well, they were hiring him for a very specific role in the royal court. And basically, they didn't want any hanky-panky to happen, right? And so if you're castrated, they're like, we don't have to worry about this. You're just going to do your job. And so this guy must have been very good at what he did. Uh, he's got a, a very high title within this court. He works for this very powerful queen. 
But the thing that, that I find most interesting that we find out about him here is that he's coming back from Jerusalem where he has been worshiping. He's not Jewish. He's not a Hebrew. Um, but he's been there worshiping. Here's the deal. If you have been castrated, you could not worship in the temple. So there was no way he was going into the temple to worship because he had been castrated. So as we think about that, he goes there because he knows there's something's up, right? He, he believes in God. And in those days, if you weren't Jewish, but you believed in God, you were called a God-fearer. And so he would have been a, a God-fearer. That would have been kind of the title he would have been known by. As he's telling people about this connection he has with, with God. But for some reason, he goes to Jerusalem, and he probably has done this quite a bit, to worship God however he can. He just, he just feels like he's got to be in the presence of God there. And so he, he goes there, and now he's coming back. But it's like he's still searching for something, right? He, he's still trying to find something in his life. And we find out what that is in verse 29. It says, seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, well, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. So get this gentleman. He is heading back home. He's been worshiping God. Uh, he's heading back to do his job. And, um, and he's in this carriage, right? That, that's probably a better translation than maybe some of our uh, Bibles say chariot. And we think chariot. We think like gladiator. We think like fast and sleek, sort of the Lamborghini of that day. Um, he's actually in like the smart car, okay? He is in this ox-drawn carriage, so it's not moving very, very quickly. And so it would have been very easy for Philip to kind of walk up beside him and to begin to have a conversation with him. Now, in those days, there would have been zero reason for these two to talk. They are very different people. Uh, they come from very different backgrounds. And so if Philip and this eunuch see each other, they're, they're probably not going to have this conversation here. But God's spirit is moving and Philip has been asked to do something, and so he goes and he walks up beside this particular carriage and this gentleman. And, and as he's there, he understands that he's, he's reading uh, this scroll. He's, he's reading what we call the book of Isaiah, which tells us this guy was pretty smart. Because uh, in those days, they didn't have translations like we do in different languages. He knows Hebrew, and so he's reading Hebrew. He's reading this scroll but he doesn't quite understand it. And here comes Philip, and Philip's like, hey, you need some help there. And I'm sure this guy looks at Philip, and maybe physically he looks like he's Hebrew. Um, I'm, I'm guessing the clothing that he wore would have given him away. More than likely the accent that Philip spoke with. This guy's like, hey, this guy might know something. And so he invites him into this carriage to discuss what he's reading. Verse 32, the passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. Uh, this passage comes from Isaiah 53, and it's a prophecy that's referring to Jesus. So these are the things that he's reading, and here's where Philip jumps in to help. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. 
Now, this conversation they have there in that carriage lasts probably maybe a couple of hours. It's not just a few seconds or a few minutes. They're with each other, we would guess, for quite a long time. And so what does Philip do? He goes and he says, hey, this, this scripture you're reading, this prophecy you're reading, it points to this Messiah, and this Messiah is Jesus. And he tells the story of Jesus. He talks about the teachings of Jesus. He talks about Jesus' death and resurrection. He probably talks about this thing called the church, and as it gets started and it begins to, to grow exponentially, he's talking about all these things that he's experienced and other people have experienced. He talks probably about sin, and, and he talks about forgiveness, and he talks about repentance, and he talks about baptism. And, and as he talks about all these things, as he's sharing with this gentleman, something is starting to change inside of him. Verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So this eunuch listens, this gentleman listens to everything that Philip says. And they see this water and he says, hey, can we, can we stop here because I'm all in. I, I want to take this step. I, I want to do everything I can to follow Jesus. And so they stop, they go in the water, and Philip baptizes him. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Now the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. From what we can tell here, a supernatural event that takes place that uh, Philip is kind of there and at one moment and the next moment, poof, he's kind of gone somewhere else. But what does he do? This next place he goes, he continues to tell the story of Jesus, right? It's not like he, he kind of made it to this one point, like, I've done all I can do. No, he, he keeps sharing the story of Jesus to these other places that he continues to be led by God to go to. And then we think about this particular gentleman, this, this Ethiopian eunuch, and we think about him his life has been changed forever because Philip listens to God's spirit in his life and he takes the steps that God is leading him forward to take. And because of this, this eunuch's life has changed forever. Now, some church tradition says that, say that this, this uh, eunuch goes back home and, and shares the gospel with people there. And this may be sort of the, the beginning of the spread of Christianity in Africa. Can't necessarily confirm that, but there are some, um, some dialogues that say that that is the case. When we think about this story and, and we think about what's happening in it, uh, what we see is that those words from Jesus were coming to fruition. The church wasn't stuck in Jerusalem anymore. It wasn't in Judea anymore. It wasn't in Samaria anymore. It was beginning to spread to the ends of the earth. The story of who Jesus was and is. And so this morning, I want to take this story right here, and I want to talk about the church, right? I want to talk about this thing we call the church. Now, when we talk about the church, and I've talked about this before, but just a quick little um, background. We think about the church, when you and I think about it, we think about this space, right? We, we think about this location, we think about this building, we think about the rooms in it. I mean, that's our idea of the church. The true definition of the church is a movement of people who have given their lives to the mission of Jesus and they're doing it together. Like, that's what the church is all about. It's this movement of people who are living out the mission of Jesus 
together. But here's what I want you to think about for a second. I want you to answer in your mind this question. Like for you, why does the church exist? Okay? In your mind, think just, just briefly, why do you think the church exists? I want to share with you three possible groups that we fall into one of these three groups, okay? For the reason that the church exists. And let me share each one of those with you. Here's the first one. The church exists for me. Now, understand again, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the church universal, not necessarily this church by itself. But this is going to, we're going to fit into one of these three groups. For some of us, we believe the church exists for me. Uh, this, was, this is what marketing does very, very well. Marketing understands we are selfish people, right? And so we kind of look at ourselves in the mirror when we wake up this morning like, man, I, I, I don't want any more wrinkles. And, you know, uh, I, I would like to have hair. And um, I, I would like to have a faster car. And, and I would like to have a bigger TV that's a, a clearer image, right? These are all these things that we say that we want. And marketing's like, you're right. You know what? You should have a face that has no wrinkles on it, and you should definitely have some hair. You should have these things, and so they, they feed into the selfishness that we have. And so we end up buying stuff we don't even need, stuff that many times we don't even use. But it's because we're so focused on, on me. But this also is permeated into other areas of life. You probably work with people who their job is all about me, Right? That's all they're focused on. They, they don't really care about the team. They don't really care about maybe the project. All they want to do is move up. They want to make more money. They want to uh, have better accolades. They want to have awards. I mean, because they're thinking only about themselves. They're thinking about me. This happens in activities that we're a part of, maybe social groups. But this definitely found its way into the church, too. In the church world, we call this consumer Christianity. That the reason that we come to church is because it's all about me. And so we walk into a church, and there's a little bit I understand here as you kind of checking out a church for the very first time. But over time, that, that idea of what can this church do for me, it just becomes a part of who we are. And so we, we're in a church, and we're always asking, what is this church doing for me? What can the church do for me? And we get stuck being selfish about this thing called the church. We, we don't fully understand what the church is all about. And yet for many people, the church exists for me. Now there's a second group of people, and this group is the group that says the church exists for us, which sounds right, doesn't it? Like that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live out our faith together. The, the problem when the church exists for us is that too often we become inwardly focused. We kind of become that country club church. Hey, hey we, we pay a few dues here, you know, a little bit of offering. We serve a little bit. We show up on Sundays. We, we've got our little group of people that we like hanging out with, and we don't really want to have any outsiders come in. We're going to make it really hard for them to do that. We're going to put procedures and, and policies in place that make it really hard. And if they want to be a part of our church, I mean, there's like 43 things that they've got to do. We're going to put them in front of this council, and we're going to vote on them and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's because we're so inwardly focused that we think the church exists only for us. And many times we can find ourselves in that particular place. Why do we do that? We fear losing control. We fear that, um, you know, we've worked too hard, we've worked too long to get this church to where we want it to be, and we fear we're going to lose control. We fear outsiders coming in and checking us out, and, and if we have too many outsiders, then we're going to lose those, those tight-knit relationships that we have, and, and we don't want that to change. We want to we keep those relationships as tight as we can. And so for some of us, we're afraid of that control that we will lose if 
because we start to let other people in. And so maybe for you, the church you think exists for us. But for both of those, that was never the purpose of the church. That was not why the church began 2,000 years ago. It, it didn't begin for me. It didn't begin for us. It began for something much bigger than that. And that's why Jesus said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Here are these expectations. Here are the how you're going to tell people about me. And this, this is what's going to happen. It's going to spread, right? It's going to scatter. It's going to be much bigger than just you. It's going to be much bigger than just us. It's going to be for all humanity. Which leads us to this last group, that the church exists for others. Now, I know some of you are like, well, hold up, the church exists for Jesus, doesn't it? It does. However, the church exists for us to tell the story of Jesus so more and more people can know who Jesus is, right? This movement of people who, who are living out the, the mission of Jesus together. That is what the church is all about. And you know who understood this? It was Philip. Like Philip got this. Philip starts in that Jerusalem church and there he is and he's been put in this, this position to oversee this, this food ministry. And he does that but then the persecution happens. And what does he do? Does he, does he stay there? Does he hide? No. He scatters. He goes to Samaria. He starts to tell people there about Jesus. Then Jesus or God's like, hey, I got a new role for you, new job. And then he goes and he tells this Ethiopian eunuch uh, about Jesus. But then he doesn't stop there. He continues to do this. He continues to live out the mission of Jesus in the world. By the way, again, with someone who was very, very different than he was. He sees this as an opportunity, right? He, he knows that there's another person out there who needs to know the story of Jesus, who's trying to figure out life, who's searching for something. And Philip listens to God's spirit and helps to change this gentleman's life. When it comes to you and me, do we really understand that the church exists for others? That this thing that we call the church is not for me. No, no matter how much I want to make it about me or I can ask the question, what is this church doing for me? That's not why the church exists. And the church doesn't exist for us to just kind of have our holy huddle and, and we have this little tiny thing and we just kind of stay together and we put up these barriers and walls so nobody else can, can be a part of. That, that's not why the church exists either. The church exists for others. The church exists so more and more people can know the incredible story, the life-changing story of Jesus. But here's the deal. What if I'm stuck on me? Or what if I'm stuck on us? What can I do or how can I kind of see the church in such a way that it will change how I view it and how I live out that mission here on this earth? As I finish up this morning, let me leave you with three ideas that I think can be helpful. Again, when we think about the church, I don't want you to think about this building. I want you to think about a movement of people who are living out the mission of Jesus together. And so this thing is always a moving thing. Here's the first thing I would say. When the church is on the move, my faith will grow. 
Uh, a lot of people will say, hey, my, uh, my faith will only grow if I learn a lot, if you give me a bunch of knowledge. And so I just need you to just invest in, in studies and, and Bible studies, and I need to know the Hebrew, and I need to know the Greek, and I need to know, you know all these big theological words. That, that's kind of the mentality sometimes we have. And what we'll say is, hey, if you teach me all of that, then I'll go do this other piece. But that's usually not the way that it happens. We usually kind of get stuck in that, that first place, right? We, we never get to that part of, hey, I'm going to use who I am and my faith to, to help reach people that are far from God. Think about Philip. This angel comes and says, hey, Philip, here's what we want you to do. We, we want you to go to this place at this time and something's going to happen, right? Philip doesn't go to that angel and say, well, hold up a second. I can't do that. I can't do that because I need to first learn how sanctification leads to my regeneration through Jesus' propitiation for my justification before God, right? And some of you are like, I've never heard those words before in my life. And that's okay. That's okay. Philip doesn't do that, does he? Philip is told by the Spirit to go do this, and he's like, sure, no problem at all. I will go do what God's Spirit is asking me to do. He was willing to continue to move with what God's Spirit was leading him to do. Because again, the church, us, it's a movement of, of people. Here's what I will promise you. If you spend more time interacting with people who are struggling, who are having a hard time, maybe having faith questions, uh, maybe even celebrating their, their lives and the good things that are happening. And I, I mean in this place, but also course outside these walls I promise you your faith will grow don't get me wrong reading scripture and spending time in the Bible is so key prayer is so important being here is so important being groups is important serving is important all these things are really really important but but I can promise you that it's fine to go learn all these theological terms and, and to kind of understand them I get that but but if we're not living it out in our faith and we're not living it out with other people, man, all we're doing is trying to gain more knowledge. And in the end, that's not going to get us very far. The religious leaders had a bunch of knowledge, but it didn't get them very far. They were still stuck. It's this thing called faith that we grows when we understand this, this church, this movement of people. When we are living out the mission of Jesus together, when we are doing that, our faith will grow. Because, by the way, there's going to be other people who are going to invest in our lives, too. And their faith is going to grow as they help us grow in our faith as we help them, too. So when the church is on the move, my faith will grow. The second thing I would say is that when the church is on the move, the church will grow. When churches are inwardly focused, um, they tend to have lots of empty seats. But usually those empty seats are full. And what they're full of is history. They're full of the past. They're full of control and um, and sadly we we find there's a lot of that in our world today especially here in America about 4,000 churches close their doors every single year and so um, when you're inwardly focused you can get focused on the building and the stuff and the, the bank accounts but when you're a church that understands we are a movement of people living out the mission of Jesus together uh, we have empty seats 
but it's, it's not because we're reserving those for the past. It's because we want to keep them open for more and more people to know who Jesus is. We, we want to help more and more people take their next steps towards Jesus. And so we leave seats open and we try to figure out ways to have more space and journey kids uh, so that more and more people can, can be here to understand and, and to begin to live out the mission of Jesus themselves. Think about this church. Next year it'll be 50 years old. I'll tell you, most churches that are 50 years old in America today are in their sunset years. Uh, what that means is they are in decline. Uh, they are towards the end of their life. And yet I look at the journey and we continue to see, just in spite of us, God doing amazing things here. But I think about the, the 50 years this church has been here, and I believe it's because at the very beginning, there were people that said, this isn't about a building, this isn't about a space, this is about a group of people living out the mission of Jesus together here. I'm sure there may have been a few blips on, on the radar throughout those 50 years. That's pretty normal for churches. But to see what we're seeing here now in this place, to me, is just absolutely incredible and it's because i believe this church has always said hey we understand what the church is about it's not about a personality it's not about a building it's about us living out the mission of jesus together and when churches do that churches grow in many different ways it doesn't necessarily be may be numerical but it may be in other ways too but the church will grow but then the last thing I will say is that when the church is on the move, it will never stop reaching people far from Jesus. I go back and, and I, I look at the, the early church. There is zero reasons the church still exists today. Like if you really go back and you think about what you read in Acts and in the New Testament, there is no reason the church should exist today. Think about this. They're the founder, right, Jesus, isn't around anymore physically. He's not, he's not there in, in front of them. He's, he's gone. And, and then you think about these leaders that are in place, and it wasn't like they went to seminary. They didn't have all these theological degrees. They weren't PhDs in theology and ministry. They were a group of misfits, right? You look at that, and you're like, yeah, this thing should have ended a long time ago. And then you think about the persecution. I wonder today if there was persecution, like real persecution. Some people in America think there's persecution. There's no persecution here. Um, but, but if there was real persecution that, that was happening here, would the church exist in America? I don't know. But here they are. They're being persecuted by their own people. The religious leaders are persecuting them. And they're like, we're going to keep telling the story of Jesus. And then the Roman government comes in like, hey, we're going to persecute Christians. Hey, thank you. We appreciate that. We're going to keep telling the story of Jesus. And, and then I think about Paul. He goes and starts all these churches. He's writing these letters back to these churches. And you go back and you read those letters. They're not like, hey, happy letters, are they? Like, there's this tension here, and there's this struggle here, and there's this theological difference here, and there's all these issues that are going on. And I'm like, the church should not exist today based on what we see in Scripture. And yet the church is still here. Why? Because the church always understood and has. Now, Again, there are many different blips over the years, 
But there have been people that understand it as a movement. It is a movement, a group of people who are living out the mission of Jesus together. And that's why the church still exists today. That's why the church is still growing exponentially in some places in our world. Because people get it. They understand it. They're like Philip. They get the reason that they follow Jesus. I um, love being the lead pastor here at The Journey. I really do. I can't imagine doing anything else in my life. Um, I love our staff. We have, honestly, an incredible, amazing staff. I love our leaders. I love our volunteers. I love most of you when you don't send me crazy emails or want to talk to me about something really strange. I love you. Um, but understand, we are a part, and I think in some ways a small part, of a big, big, huge mission has been put in place and been lived out for 2,000 years. And so if you're brand new here, know that we exist for others. Now, we want your faith to grow, and we want you to build relationships here in this church. We are all for that. That is part of being the church. But we also believe that there are empty seats so more and more people can know who Jesus is. And as long as I'm still here, and I'm hoping as long as this church still exists, we will always be a church for others to help more and more people take their next steps towards Jesus. And by the way, those next steps include you and me. From the story of Philip and this eunuch, may we live that out in our lives. May we not be afraid to follow God's spirit as it leads us, this movement of people, to live out the mission of Jesus here together. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. I, I do think, I know, God, that we do get stuck where we think it's the, the church is about me, it's about us, and, and sometimes we can forget it is, it is about others. It is about the power of, of your spirit at, at work and the power of Jesus in our lives. May we never forget that. God, would you lead us as we live our lives, as we do our best to follow you, and to follow Jesus, to listen to your spirit. May we do that together for now until the time we leave this place or the time you call us home. In Jesus' name, amen.